Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. I got my start in birding in New York and spent some time birding in Central Park and other city hotspots in the 1986-87 period, when I was just getting into birding and living at West Point and spending time in New York City with Kay, who worked there, and we kept her rent-controlled apartment that she shared with her sister. For that reason, when I heard about the Feminist Bird Club of New York a few years ago, it caught my attention, and I followed their story casually over the last few years. When I started this podcast, I had hoped to get a representative of the club on as a guest, but really wasn't successful until now. The founder of the first Feminist Bird Club in New York City, Molly Adams, and Sidney Anderson-Golden, a Chicago birder until recently and now a Colorado birder and leader of these clubs in those areas, agreed to be on as guests on the show today. In my opinion, the birding community as a whole has tried and has made some progress toward shaking its reputation as a hobby for old white men. It seems like as a whole, we've made some modest progress at shaking the old and the men part of the stereotype. Maybe less progress in becoming inclusive to non-white communities, and that doesn't even start to cover the progress toward people who may not identify in the historically gender-typical uh, identifications. The Feminist Bird Club is well known in the birding community as an organization that not just welcomes beginning birders and birders who might feel uncomfortable going on a typical birding outing, but celebrates them when they join any event and actively seeks out birders and prospective birders of all color, gender identities, and abilities. I've learned that they're truly leading the way to diversification of our birding community, and I'm so happy to have leaders of this club as guests today. They have a good story to tell on the podcast, and they've recently written a book, Birding for a Better World, A Guide to Finding Joy and Community in Nature. That book will be available for purchase on September 5th, just a few weeks from now. So help me welcome Molly Adams and Sydney Golden Anderson to the Bird Banner Podcast. Molly, Sydney, thanks for being on the podcast. I have heard about the Feminist Birders Club for years and have sort of followed on social media and, and that sort of thing. I, I used to live in New York, so uh, the Central Park sort of stuff got to me. And I was hoping to get someone from the club on the podcast at some point, and this is it. So I'm really excited. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. I, I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, Holly, I'm going to I'm gonna start because the Feminist Birders Club may not be something people are familiar with or may have uh, questions about. Tell me, how did it get started and, and what's the story of the Birding Club? Sure. So I technically started the group, but um, what it is today is the result of so many other people and it's much bigger than myself. But um, as you said, you, it, I'm happy to hear that you were in New York and that you've been interested in the club because I first had the idea when I was living in Brooklyn and I had been participating in a local reproductive rights advocacy group while also spending a lot of time birding by myself um, as a way to adjust to the stress of living in New York City after being out on Long Island um, where it was a bit calmer. A few years prior, I had an experience in Central Park while I was visiting from Long Island, and I was with my friends. It was my first time birding in Central Park, and I was really excited. Um, and so we went up to a, a local or a group of birders who were on a tour, and they were really excited. So we asked what they were looking at. And the trip leader hopped in front of the group and was like, there's nothing to see here. If you want to know what we're looking at, come back tomorrow at 8 a.m. for $10. So 
So <laughs> I was a little bit hesitant after that to join existing groups in New York, but I definitely was a member of the Brooklyn Bird Club. Um, and I unfortunately had some negative experiences, not necessarily with the Brooklyn Bird Club, but with other birders in Central Park and other places and also had some negative experiences just being alone in nature by myself. Um, so I had the idea to make my own meetups um, that not only focused on birding, but also at the time, reproductive health care and fundraising advocacy. Um, so what I did was I posted an image of what was our first patch design on Instagram asking if anybody would want to join this club and started selling the patch online to fundraise for reproductive health care. And it was surprisingly <laughs> more successful than I thought. Like I thought it would just be a couple of my friends, but I was hearing from people that I didn't know who wanted to come to events. And while they started out small, they slowly grew and were really, really fun for me and meaningful. And it seemed like other people um, shared that sentiment. Um, so within a year of posting kind of updates about the club online in New York City, other people in other cities like Carla Noboa, who was in Boston at the time, reached out about starting other chapters uh, in their own cities. And Very so cool. flash forward to, <laughs> to now, we, yeah, we have 30 chapters now across North America and Europe, as well as some uh, sibling groups is what we call them, like that are groups that have a different name, but follow our principle. So. Sure. Well, that is, that is uh, incredible. Explosive growth, <laughs> explosive growth, I would say. <laughs> Obviously, uh, filling a need. What is a feminist birding club? What do you do and, and what's it all involve? Sure. Um, it's, well, the club's goals are to make birding inclusive and affirming and joyful to people who might have historically been excluded from birding or might not have had safe access to nature in the past. Um, and also to support people's passion for the environment and social justice uh, to help create lasting change. Um, it's, I guess I'd say that Feminist Bird Club is a group for anybody who's ever felt a little bit nervous to join a traditional birding club. Like they might not have felt like they were an expert enough or that they were going to know enough, but demographically it's for queer people, trans people, disabled people, Black, brown, and indigenous people, other people of color, women, and especially anybody with more than one of those intersecting identities. Um, Sydney, do you want to share anything about what the Feminist yeah. Bird Club does? Yeah, I would love to. Thanks, Molly. Um, and thanks for the question, Ed. I, um, I really wanted to touch on this piece that Molly, Molly mentioned that the club is for anyone who's maybe felt a little nervous to join a traditional birding club because maybe they don't feel like they're an expert at birding. So maybe there's not a place for them there. Um, and I just really think it's also important to note that the Feminist Bird Club prioritizes anybody who is new to birding. Um, we really try to ensure that our outings feel welcoming for emerging birders. And that's really crucial for us. Um, we want anybody who has an interest in birds and a desire to spend time with others in nature 
to feel that they have a place with us at Feminist Bird Club free of judgment and expectation. Um, and I can say from personal experience that on every Feminist Bird Club outing that I've ever attended or led, we totally freak out and geek out over every bird that we see. And I think it, it really demonstrates the spirit of the club that like every bird is cool, that there are no wrong answers. Um, you don't discriminate against house sparrows and starlings. No, Good we do not. <laughs> um, and if you misidentify a bird while you're on, a, while you're leading a trip, even that's fine. I do it all the time. I misidentify birds all the time and it doesn't stop me from loving every minute I spend outdoors with birds and with other birders. And um, I just really believe that there's so much to appreciate about the natural world without necessarily knowing the Western prescribed names for every species that you see, right? And I really do think that FBC, Feminist Bird Club, does everything it can to make sure that our outings feel welcoming for anyone who's new to birding. Well, I have to say that I, I think a lot of clubs, clubs, Audubon societies, birding clubs, whatever, would love to uh, feel that they did the same. But putting it right up front, like you guys do, probably goes a long ways towards making a, a beginner feel more welcome or maybe someone who doesn't fit the stereotype of a birder feel more welcome. Yeah, we hope so. Both of you are birders, obviously, and every birder has a birding story. Can uh Sydney, why don't you go first? Tell me your birding story. How did you become interested in birds and become a, a avid birder? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm always looking for birds. Um, I uh, whether that's intentionally with my binoculars in hand or just walking down the street, um, looking out my window, you know. Um, but I, I first came to the joy of birding by way of my grandmother. Uh, I call her Grammy. Her name is Mary Lou, uh, and she's a backyard birder. And I really love that I came to know and appreciate birds because of her. Um, and that's because it really demonstrates to me the importance of intergenerational knowledge sharing. She gifted me with eyes that see and care about feathered friends. And I really hope that I can pass along that love for birds to generations to come as I grow older as well. So um, yeah, so endlessly grateful for my Grammy. Um, and I write about my birding origin story in the book. Um, and I can speak to that a bit more here. And like sure, I said, my, gra yeah, my Grammy uh, taught me about birds, um, but she also took me in when I was 14 years old and um, yeah, brought me into her home and raised me and tucked into the contours of her small backyard were and are just so many bird feeders and bird houses and suet cages and bird baths and hummingbird feeders and everything bird related. I mean, she is obsessed with her backyard birds and she's so proud to announce she's seen over two dozen backyard species throughout the year. Um, and she, it's just, yeah, so important to me. And, and, um, it's really because of my Grammy and other critical individuals in my life that I, um, I've been able to find myself in nature. I feel like it's a homecoming almost. Um, I was not raised outside uh, as a child. I barely spent any time outdoors. In fact, <laughs> I was not encouraged to go outside much. Um, and miraculously, I've found myself at home in nature. And um, because of some really important in people in my life, like um, my geology teacher in high school, Julie Hoover, shout out, love her. Um, she's so amazing. She encouraged me to study ecology and environmental biology, she saw a budding environmentalist in me and encouraged me to 
follow that path in undergrad. And that's where I really started to dig deeper into the the relations around us, the ecological relations and um, just, yeah, the miraculous dance of life. Um, and I, yeah, I was a wildlife biologist assistant for a couple of years after undergrad. And, uh, and then I, I went to graduate school for community-based education in Chicago. And my mentor in grad school, her name's Drea Howenstein, also a powerhouse of a human, so grateful for her. She's the person who recognized in me a, a um, profound care for communalism and community responsibility and knew of my love for birds and just the outdoors in general, incorporating environmentalism into my everyday pedagogy and in what I was studying at the time. And she recommended, check out Feminist Bird Club. I think you'll really resonate with it. And I reached out to the club on Facebook. <laughs> um, found out that soon after that, there was going to be a, um, a bird outing that I could attend. And I signed up for it. And I almost didn't go because I was so nervous. I was like, I'm a novice. What am I going to do? Like show up all these people are going to be so good at birding. I'm so nervous, whatever. And uh, yeah, I almost didn't go. And I'm so glad I did because I I showed up, my nerves in a bundle, and I felt nothing but pure welcoming feelings. Um, it was just such a delight. Um, everyone was so interested in sharing um, what they knew about the world around them with me as somebody who barely knew anything about birds at the time, save what I learned from my grandmother and the couple of classes I took in undergrad, right? Um, but I wasn't an avid birder yet. And uh, I'm just so grateful that I attended Feminist Bird Club outing that day um, because I became great friends with Frances Kane, who was one of the two leaders of the Chicago chapter, the, one of the founders of the Chicago chapter of Feminist Bird Club. And in becoming great friends, eventually I was asked to join the leadership team. And at that point I was like, okay, I got to get serious about this. I really needed to learn my birds. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that, that was originally in 2019 when I first joined Feminist Bird Club. And since then I have just started looking closer and closer and um, cherish birds more and more every day. And I, I am learning my Colorado birds, which is um, just a real pleasure um, and a challenge, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. And Molly? Um, so this question is like a little bit difficult for me because my I feel like I have kind of two separate birding stories because my relationship to birding has changed so much in the last few years. But I, like Sydney, when I was younger, I had a grandmother who loved birds. And while we had never gone birding, together um her house was decorated with bird plates and um like shorebird carvings of birds and um like other family members that I had not necessarily spent time with because they passed away um before I was old enough to really understand what birds were like were wildlife photographers and so I was always around um birding but never actually went birding uh, until I had graduated from undergrad and was working at a natural history museum um, on the South Fork of Long Island, where I met my first like birders who um, I worked with as an, an environmental educator. And 
as soon as I found out that there were surf scoters like on <laughs> at the end of my road where I was living in Long Island, I was hooked. Like I um, began, I, I started going with my colleagues every weekend, if not every day, and was immediately hooked and started leading bird outings uh, that often were um, for kids or families and just learned so much about the local um, species that you could find on Long Island. Um, and so I think it became an obsession for me. I started doing Christmas bird counts. I went to um, Stony Brook to get a master's degree in marine conservation and policy, specifically like thinking about marine protected areas, but also birds like seabirds, any shorebirds. Um, all the birds that I was seeing in coastal environments on Long Island. And um, then I moved back to New York City. Uh, and that's kind of when the Feminist Bird Club started, when I was working at the New York Aquarium, also like working in marine conservation and education, but not enough specifically about birds. Um, so... I then worked at New York City Audubon doing conservation policy and outreach. And so then at that point, birds and birding and bird conservation were my full-time job, my hobby outside of work. I was a regional coordinator for the New York State Breeding Bird Atlas. I was volunteering as a bird bander in my spare time, just trying to get as much um birds and birding knowledge as possible and then in february of 2021 i caught covid for the first Ooh. time and was one of the people who developed long covid um and it disabled me to the point where i couldn't look through binoculars without getting sick and it making me really dizzy and I also couldn't walk for more than like two to five minutes at a time. So I essentially stopped birding and working for a good part of the year and my life was turned completely upside down. Um, and thankfully I had birding through that time. And once I kind of got over or started to get over the fact that I couldn't bird at the capacity that I had previously. Um, I participated a lot in um, like sit sitting and birding um, by myself and kind of used some of the tools that I had learned through doing the breeding bird atlas and where I was just like, observing bird behaviors rather than chasing rare birds since I couldn't drive as much anymore. And yeah, I just, I, I really, I think healed a lot through um, birding in new ways. And I'm really grateful because now over two and a half years later, I can sometimes get out for a half day of birding um, where I see like I um can bird kind of at the capacity that I used to um so yeah I'm just I'm really grateful for that 
Well, that is, you know, you you will be uh, sometime. You should be a testimonial for Holly Merker. Holly, do, do you know Holly Merker? Ho Holly is a, a leader in the intentional birding and ornotherapy movements. I had her as a guest a, a few episodes ago, and uh, she has her own podcast now. So you would be a great guest for her because uh, she. Uh, is especially interested in the healing aspects of nature and birding and all the, she could tell you better than I can, but really, really fascinating person. And sounds like you, you know, you did ornotherapy, whether you called it that or not. Yeah, I, I've definitely heard of her and I think someone gifted me her book. Um, and I have not quite, uh, read it yet, but, um, I'm familiar with the, uh, like the the larger group that she has, which I'm forgetting the name of. I, I, th the I think mindful, it's mind, Mindful Birding Network, I think. Yeah, the Mindful Birding Network, which again, like since getting long COVID, I've been super interested in. And um, another book that I read is that is about a similar topic is Keep Looking Up by Tama Watts, who... If you haven't read that book, that's my then recommendation to you. And I think having her on the podcast would be really incredible because I have never connected to a book about birding as much as I have about that. It's called Keep Looking Up, the, Your Guide to the Powerful Healing of Bird Watching. So I'm. I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. Intensely. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, that's good stuff. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that I it came to my mind sort of when I first saw the Feminist Birding Club and kind of periodically when I think about it, you know, I, I, I'm older than you guys. And I grew up in the, the, the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s feminist movement. Uh, and maybe it's earlier than that, but that's when I uh, heard about it and became you know, interested. And, and it, it, uh, it, it doesn't quite, it seemed different than than the way uh you two and and others use the term feminism now so can you help me reconcile that sure um i definitely understand what you're what you might be thinking of and uh, we've gotten this question a lot um but at the time of the creation of the feminist bird club like I mentioned that I was in a women's liberation organization, then we focused um, on reproductive rights actions and also reading texts by Kimberly Crenshaw and Angela Davis, specifically about intersectional and trans inclusive feminism. So this is what I thought of when I, or what I still think of when I think of feminism and like our choice or I guess my choice at the time to include the word feminism in the name was is was intended as like an easy way to signal to people who the club was for. Um, but at the time, I was only thinking about it um, in reference to a really small local club in New York where I would be able to explain what feminism meant to me. So as the club grew, we did try to be very intentional about explaining that this club is not centered around white feminism or just women. So our very first principle for the club is, is it okay if I read it out? Absolutely. Okay. Our feminism must focus on addressing international intersectional struggles 
Our work centers the experiences of and fights for the rights of people who identify as indigenous, trans, non-binary, queer, women, disabled, black, brown, neurodiverse, or any combination thereof, and for the equity of people from all socioeconomic backgrounds. All chapters need to work against perpetuating white feminism and any extension of misogyny. Well, I think that so, uh, that nails the question. <laughs> Nicely answered. Thank you. Uh, Thank so, you. But, but again, that you know, it it just it it's been on my mind. So I'm glad uh, you've answered that. Thank you. I kind of acknowledge that uh, the birding community has kind of historically been maybe not as inclusive as it it uh, would hope to be, and uh, that uh, it. We need to be better about that. How, what can uh, what can I do? What can we do? What should I do? How can we help, Sydney? Why don't you go first? Sure. Well, um, having a code of conduct that really explicitly states what behavior is acceptable or allowed at events, um, whether they be in person or online. Um, can really be helpful, right? So these can be used to prohibit any kind of um, racist, sexist, homophobic behavior um, that would make certain people and groups of people feel unsafe in attendance at one of your events. And then use those guidelines to help prohibit that behavior, provide some sort of consequence. We're not talking punitive here, but if you make a mistake, you need to own up to your mistake. And if you're not willing to do that, then we're going to have to ask you to leave, right? Um, so we, we're really looking to prioritize the safety of the people that are in attendance at our events. Um, we also are looking to create events that are accessible for folks with disabilities. Um, and we're doing that by offering a myriad of events um, that are both in-person and online. And we really try to use conscious language when describing our bird outings. Um, I think that's a great way to practice inclusivity to begin with. For example, um, constantly referring to bird outings as bird walks, which I do often. I say bird walk and I and then I have to correct myself. Um, and really what I mean is an outing um, because I think it can feel exclusionary for folks with limited mobility when we're it bird outings are referred to as bird walks exclusively. Um, you don't have to walk to be a birder and you don't always walk while birding, right? Um, and the same goes for referring to birding as bird watching. You don't have to see birds to enjoy them or consider yourself a birder. Many people use their ears and other senses to experience birds. And I think, um, yeah, it's just really important to think about the language that we use when we're talking about this activity and this way of spending time together in nature. Good point. Uh, yeah. Molly, do you have anything to add to that? At one thing that's also really important to Feminist Bird Club outings or advertising the outings, is to disclose any limiting factors that might be present on the trails. Like, are the trails ADA accessible or not? How long is the trail? What kind of substrate should folks expect to, to be on while in, in attendance? Like, is it a dirt trail? Um, is it paved, et cetera? Um, mm -hmm. Are there places for people to sit down and take a rest along the way? That's extremely important for me. Um, and so, yeah, these are considerations for anyone interested in attending a bird event, but including them in the descriptions help people know what they're signing up for and, and make informed decisions for themselves. Well, that's terrific. I, I recently became aware of a, a new resource. Uh, it's called birdinghotspots.org. It's not that 
widely used yet. I'm hoping it becomes more so, but it basically syncs up with eBird, which a lot of birders use. Uh, and you know, eBird is great. It tells you what people have been seeing where, maybe gives you ideas of where to go, that sort of thing. But it doesn't really say anything about the place. Uh, and sometimes it's not that, I mean, if it's a you know, big city park or national park, it may be easy to find those things out. But if it's just a place people go birding that's not a part of some organized city or something it may not be and and so this has a it has you know check boxes when they make each for each e-birding hotspot it says you know is there roadside viewing in other words can you bird from your car uh is it uh is it wheelchair accessible is it is there a restroom you know questions like that but it also has a tips for birding section that anyone who goes there and uses this website like if if you go to birding it you know I want to say Central Park, that's not a good example, but at a birding place. Uh, and you can go on and, and suggest an edit to the place that says, you know, this is a great place for people who need to rest. It has good seats. So whatever you think would be helpful at, at a visiting birder might want to know, you can suggest the edit and it, you know, I'm an editor for that site and it'll get, unless it's something that shouldn't be there, it'll get accepted. And it's a good way to spread that information for any kind of eBird hotspot. So maybe you guys uh, can use your clubs to help uh, enhance that uh, resource. Birdinghotspots.org is a pretty cool site. That sounds like such an amazing resource that I've wished I had had um, many times. So thank you so much for sharing about it. I, I can't wait to, to tell other feminist bird club leaders I, about it. I just literally heard about it a little while ago and, and I'm uh, uh, the episode after yours is going to be by that. Uh, by the the two guys who kind of did that, you know, put it up, and uh, and I think it's going to be great. I volunteered to be the Washington editor right away when I heard about that. I think it's like a fabulous resource. I don't know what I'm getting into by being an editor of it, but we'll see. But so far, I'm having a really fun time, you know, putting stuff up like that. I think, and I think that you know that that sort of information, you know, where do you park? Where are the restrooms? Uh, you know. For me, those are good information. But you know, how do you go about birding it? Which trails are accessible by wheelchair? Which, which, you know, anything like that? You know, just great information that, uh, you know, to get out. So anyway, not off topic here. I'm going to get back on topic. Uh, I want to hear about this book you guys have written that's going to be published. Tell me the name of the book and when it's coming out. Uh, uh, Sydney, why don't you start? Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Birding for a Better World, and it's a collection of essays about feminist bird clubs, practices and principles. And really at its core, it advocates for cultivating experiences in nature with community that are accessible, inclusive, reciprocal, joyful and affirming. And um, it was just such a joy to write with Molly um, and just because Feminist Bird Club is all about collaboration, intertwined with our writings or journaling prompts for readers to reflect and co-create the work with us. Um, and Molly and I really both believe that the book itself is like incomplete until folks bring pen to paper and then bring that work to life um, in whatever ways that resonate with them. And I really think that that's what makes the book super unique. Um, and in addition to that, it was illustrated by nearly 20 
artists from our birding community. Um, and there are over 90 original illustrations in the collection. So it's super colorful, fun, full of life, and it hits shelves everywhere. Books are sold on September 5th of this year. So coming up in just a little under a month. And you can pre-order it right now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and other places. Just a quick Google search. Great. Molly, but tell me your uh, kind of point of view about the book and, and how, how how did it come to happen? So I I think that Sydney summarized it really well. I'm not sure that I have too much to add, but um, since there was, there was an article in the New York Times, I think in 2018, that was about the Feminist Bird Club and other urban birding clubs. Mm-hmm. And since then, there had been... Uh, quite a few inquiries about writing more about the Feminist Bird Club in either book form. And I had sort of pushed them off when I, especially when I was having a full-time job and helping to organize the Feminist Bird Club. It felt like something that was impossible. Um, But Sydney, while working with the Chicago chapter, I know had put out printed materials like zines and um, I was really impressed by them. Um, She also, I had um, been made aware of her thesis project, which I think is the book that she referred to before and um, knew a little bit about it and how it included the feminist bird club. And so I thought Sydney would be the perfect person to really help write a feminist bird club book that was more than just a a field guide or like an instruction manual and was something that was uh, more creative and fun and really welcoming to new birders. And I am just, I couldn't be more happy with how the book turned out. (laughs) Well, I am excited to see it in its physical presence. I uh, had a chance to look at. <laughs> I had a chance to uh, look at the PDF of it and glance through it. And I have to say, there are some some things that you know questions that beginning birders ask. How do I have trouble using binoculars? How do you use them? And uh, and just some real basic uh, aspects of how do you how do you learn to be a bird watcher? How do you learn to identify birds that is just nicely presented besides all of the kind of heavier stuff that's in the book. It's really good too. But uh, I, I thought if even, you know, that, you know, you don't see that well done very many places and it was well done. And I also love the illustrations. I was like, who is your illustrator? I just heard now there are 20 of them. No wonder they look so diverse and wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you, you like how it looks and, and I can't wait for you to get a physical copy too. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, I'm going to kind of wrap up by asking you uh, to let listeners how they can find a feminist birding club uh, and uh, how they can reach out to either of you if they want to do that. Sure. So the Feminist Bird Club has a website. It's feministbirdclub.org. And on that website, there's a chapters page that has a link to a lot of our different uh, chapters, but you can also find out a lot about the Feminist Bird Club and um, different chapters, events on Instagram. We have a Feminist Bird Club 
general Instagram. And then a lot of the chapters have their own Instagrams. And I personally love seeing the different chapters, photographs of their events and sort of flyers about their events. One thing I wish we could have talked a little bit more about is highlighting all of the different chapters in their events, but there are so many of them, it would be impossible to do them justice. But I really would encourage listeners to go check out the different chapters, Instagrams, because they're all doing incredible, incredible stuff. Way cool. Both of you, I really appreciate having you on the podcast. It was really my pleasure. It's been something I'm looking forward to for years, literally. Uh, And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Ed. And yeah, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to share the book with you and with your listeners. And thanks so much for having us on the show. Good. I'll make sure I put in the podcast notes uh, a link to uh, where you can buy the book. So thanks again. Take care. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast number 158 with Molly Adams and Sydney Golden Anderson. Thanks for listening. I hope hearing from Molly and Sydney gives you the hope that it gives me that birding can become more inclusive, welcoming, and nurturing to everyone. I hadn't thought before today that terms like bird watcher and bird walk might feel like titles that could exclude some prospective participants who are either visually or mobility limited. Another reason the term birder is better, and a reason not to limit the term birder to include only avid enthusiasts. I hope lots of you will let Molly and Sydney know that you support their work, consider buying their book, and maybe follow one or more of the feminist bird clubs on Instagram. I'll put links to the New York City Club website and Instagram accounts in the podcast notes and in the podcast blog that I put on birdbanner.com associated with this episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day.